Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Greetings, comrades, and welcome to the Eastern Border. This time we're continuing the news series because, oh boy, many events have happened in Belarus and in Russia too, and, well, this is um, getting a bit crazy. A lot of commentators are now saying that Belarus has lost its momentum as they could have charged the prison where uh, the husband of Tikhanovskaya was held but didn't. Now Lukashenko has had a talk with uh, Mr. Putin, you know, he's gained some tactical victories and people are still being oppressed there. At the same time, there have been um, filmings of, you know, just people using their cell phone cameras filming Russian troops. I'm saying Russian troops, but, you know, they're little green men. And there was a video of about 14 armored transport vehicles moving towards Minsk. We don't know what's happening there. Because the protests are continuing... But a lot of people are saying that, well, this might die down, Lukashenko might stay in power. However, Lukashenko himself and his fake protests came out and blamed Navalny for organizing everything. And, uh, Navalny... Navalny's in trouble now. So, let's, let's go through Navalny's actions right now, because... Yeah, this is a bit crazy. See, in August the 20th, the Anti-Corruption Foundation founder... Alexei Navalny was hospitalized at an intensive care unit in Omsk after his plane from Tomsk, two different cities, Omsk and Tomsk, to Moscow, was forced to make an emergency landing when uh, Navalny became violently ill. And the situation is very serious. I would have released episode yesterday, but I waited until today because I wanted to know what's happening. But apparently he's in a coma and connected to an artificial lung. Navalny's aides say he was almost certainly poisoned, though it still remains unknown as some people say that there are toxins involved, some people say that his um, cardiovascular system is gone. Anyway, things were meddled up right now and, and you can't really know what's happening there. And at the same time, both French and German authorities have released statements that they're ready to take Navalny in 
and provide treatment for him. However, the hospital refuses to do so, and according to eyewitnesses, the hospital where Navalny is right now being held is full with FSB, Federal Bureau of Security, Russia's KGB agents, who are just um, saying that, you know, no one can visit him. They even prohibited uh, Navalny's wife from visiting him um, a while ago. There are many theories about this, and we'll go through a lot of them. But for starters, why did this Russian oppositionary, and I know I'm moving away from Belarus a bit, but this is important because this kind of takes away all the attention, and I think it's done to turn uh, Russia's attention away from Lukashenko. He, um, he went to Siberia, to Novosibirsk, a week ago. Navalny landed on Thursday evening, August the 13th, one of his uh, office aides told the news. Novosibirsk and Tomsk are uh, holding city council elections next month, and Navalny and his supporters have endorsed several independent candidates, because, you know, they have this smart voting system, and the trip's main purpose was to support it. And these are key regions. This is the system that Navalny, as I mentioned in my previous episodes, like way back ago with the Moscow elections, I think it was two years ago, they stated that it's important to defeat United Russia there. So I quote here, On Friday and Saturday he was filming in different locations. Later on Friday he came to the office and spoke to the volunteers and staff. They talked about the local elections and election monitoring. Alexei was in high spirits. End quote. In addition to promoting opposition candidates and strategic voting, Navalny went to Novosibirsk and Tomsk to record footage for an upcoming investigative report about local United Russia deputies. The news outlet Taiga Info also reports that Navalny may have been collecting materials for a new investigation about United Russia deputies in the area. According to his press secretary, Kira Yarmish, Navalny left Novosibirsk on August the 17th for Tomsk, where he again met with local election candidates and volunteers. He spent about three days in both cities. Speaking to Taiga Info, Navalny's Tomsk chief of staff, Ksenia Fedeyeva, she said to Medusa, my buddy is there, that she noticed nothing unusual about his behavior on the last day of his visit. One of Navalny's local officers told Medusa that there were no incidents or disruptions, while film crews recorded footage for the investigative report. Nothing out of the ordinary happened. We're tailed as usual, the source said. Yarmish declined to comment on a film Navalny's group is preparing, uh, but on Instagram there are dozens of photos uploaded by locals in Novosibirsk and Tomsk who stopped for selfies with Navalny. So he went there, did stuff, and weird things, strange things happened. But that's, that's as usual for Russia. But Belarus, yeah, before I move on, I still have to mention Belarus, because that's uh, all about the news right now, and... Even though it looks like Lukashenko might actually, you know, he's making a move there, making a move here, uh, playing political cards as much as he wants to, because he really needs to stay in power. Lukashenko has been mentally diagnosed with uh, schizophrenia multiple times, and he was disbanded from the army for his diagnosis. So there are people who think that, you know, he actually genuinely believes that he has this 80% support and that Navalny is actually paying all of the protesters uh, across Belarus to uh, fight against him. So there's this uh, key moment here that it might be some Belarusian authorities instead of Putin's authorities at work here, because obviously poisoning people as important as Navalny, well, you know, Putin doesn't need that kind of trouble, especially after, you know, all the incidents that happened with the Salisbury Cathedral guys and all that poisoning. So the situation is mostly uncertain, and I'm following it as much as I can. But uh, before I move on to the next part, there's something I want to tell you. Uh, you see, my ex-wife has uh, Alice. She's popped out, and she uh, demands money from me, a lot of money. 
and she somehow stated that I've spread lies about her and told people that we've had kids, even though I think I've mentioned multiple times on the show that we haven't had any kids and whatever, and she's now, you know, even though we legally separated and uh, she has no judicial basis on demanding more money than she received after, you know, during our divorce and after that because we have all the papers and she's now threatening me with going to other podcasts and uh, telling them the truth about our relationships. If you hear any, please let me know, but like, uh, I don't know what's up in her head, maybe some more weird-ass calls and maybe it's just another strike or, or something. I wish her all the best, but uh, just just so you know, if you hear some, some bad stuff about me, then uh, it's not true, and, well, I'm not gonna do anything about it because, well, why would I? But I'm sorry for this interruption, I just felt like I had to say it because on the next part we're going to be looking at Kremlin's history of poisoning people and how it usually works out and why Kremlin does it. Because this isn't your usual food poisoning, this is truly his muscles have stopped working, he's in a coma and uh, it has gone to the point where Navalny's wife has even asked Putin himself personally for Navalny to be transported to to Germany for treatments. And the official Omsk authorities, like I said, have uh, responded with the fact that Navalny might present danger to people in the plane, even though experts reveal and state that um, actually, you know, if he was on a plane when he was poisoned by literally drinking tea, oh, tea drinking, people who do not like Polony 200 alpha particles and stuff, they shouldn't drink Putin's tea. Yeah, people are stating that... Um, well, if the other people on the plane are not uh, infectious or dangerous in any way or form, then why keep Navalny in a hospital under strict guard without people being allowed to see him if he's such a danger, even though there are specific medicinal planes who have already arrived at Oms to pick him up? But it's still strange that, again, you know, you have to have some empathy for the chief doctor of the Omsk hospital, because, obviously, if uh, the hospital is running completely full with uh, FSB agents, well, what else is he going to say? Hey guys, Annette here. How long have you been a listener of The Eastern Border? Let us know in the comments on our Facebook page or on our website, theeasternborder.lv. As always, a big, big thank you to all of our Patreons. If you're not a Patreon and would like to become one, head over to patreon.com slash theeasternborder to find out how you too can support our show. And to keep up to date with everything Eastern Border, follow us on our social media like Facebook, Twitter and Discord. That's it from me now, and see you online! This podcast brought to you by RussianVoiceOvers.eu. Enjoy! If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. About poisoning. See, the doctors have yet to share a diagnosis to explain Navalny's sudden illness. But yeah, most likely he was poisoned, even though uh, my personal nemesis, uh, Mr. Solovyov of the propaganda agency uh, of, of Kremlin and people working in Russia today have stated that, oh, it's just a heart attack or something. But the problem here is that nobody knows if the Russian authorities will ever open a criminal investigation. And if they do, and if he was indeed poisoned, will the police even find those who are um, responsible? And the thing is, we have to judge by past investigations, because at this point, you know, you, my dear listeners, have already noticed that when Russia says something, the first part is that they need to provide proof, because otherwise they are obviously lying, and let's look at some previous cases, because they lie as they breathe by default. Previous cases include Pyotr Verzilov. On September 11, 2018, Media Zone publisher and Pussy Riot member Pyotr Verzilov was hospitalized at the Moscow Bushkurin City Clinical Hospital's Toxico-Intensive Care Unit in a critical condition. He nearly lost his sight, speech, and mobility before he was transferred abroad on an air ambulance to Charité Hospital in Berlin, where German doctors confirmed his family's fears. His sudden illness was the result of acute poisoning. Specialists in Berlin were unable, however, to identify the exact substance. Verzilov has since proposed two reasons officials in Russia might write him dead. His investigative work into the deaths of the Russian journalists Okhran Jemal, Alexander Rastorguyev, and Kirill Radchenko, who were murdered in the Central African Republic while trying to record footage of Evgeny Prigozhin's activities, and I made an episode about these guys too, look it up in the past, or the stunt he organized through Pussy Riot during the 2018 FIFA World Cup in Moscow, when he and other activists streaked across the soccer field during the championship game, dressed as law enforcement in an effort to draw uh, attention to police brutality in Russia. And what did the authorities do about it? Immediately after Vizilo fell ill, his lawyer, Dmitry Dinze, filed a police report requesting a formal investigation. In October 2019, more than a year later, he finally got a response. Nope. Yep, just nothing. Trade prosecutors later overturned this decision and an investigation began, but officials have yet to bring any charges. Instead, Verzilov is now under criminal investigation himself for allegedly concealing his Canadian citizenship, which is a uh, obvious crime in Russia. Then there is Vladimir Karamurza. On May 26, 2015, opposition activist and journalist Vladimir Karamurza was hospitalized with, quote, acute kidney failure, end quote. 
His condition was so serious that doctors repeatedly transferred him to different clinics as physicians worked desperately to understand his illness. After his kidneys, heart and lungs began to fail, he slipped into a coma. Just like Navalny. His lawyer, Vadim Prohrov, says one doctor brought in to examine Karamurza estimated the probability of his survival at 5%. Within a few days, however, Karamurza started getting better. A subsequent examination conducted by French specialists found raised concentrations of heavy metals in his body. Karamurza believes he was poisoned with a substance accessible only to Russia's intelligence services. In February 2017, Karamurza was hospitalized again with similar symptoms and placed in a medically induced coma. According to chief physician Denis Prostenko, who would become widely known to Russians three years later as the head of Moscow's Kommunarka COVID-19 hospital, Karamurza's illness was possibly, quote, a repeat of the previous situation, end quote. But he argued against speculation that the cause was poison. Dr. Protsenko also said Karamurza's 2015 incident wasn't likely a poisoning. Two years ago, the world's leading toxicological laboratories detected no presence or traces of any substances. Our specialists have either found nothing new, he explained. So, this case, what did the authorities do about it? Well, in December 2015... Six months after Karamurza's first hospitalization, he filed a police report, claiming that someone had tried to kill him out of political and ideological hatred. Russia's investigative committee rejected the request. A year after the second hospitalization in 2018, investigators opened an inquiry and questioned both Karamurza and his wife Yevgenia. The FBI in the United States also investigated the second illness, but the blood work results, based on samples provided by Karamurza's family, were obviously classified. Karamurza is still trying to obtain these records through litigation in the United States. Then, then we have Sergei Mohov. On November 25th, 2016, well-known anthropologist Sergei Mohov, who is also married to opposition politician and Navalny ally Ludmil Soboy, he was attacked inside his apartment building in Moscow. The assailant, an unfamiliar young man, ran up to him and injected him in the thigh with an unknown liquid. Mohov managed to telephone his wife and ask her to call for an ambulance before he passed out. Paramedics brought him to the Slivkovsky Institute, where his condition quickly improved, according to his wife, but, again, doctors were mysteriously unable to identify whatever has been injected into him. Physicians said the substance disintegrated quickly inside his body. That night, Mohov experienced dizziness and muscle aches, but at least, thankfully, his life was never in jeopardy. Soboy and Navalny later speculated that the attack was made connected to their investigations into the illicit business dealings of Yevgeny Prigozhin, our good friend of ours who runs, well, um, PVC Wagner. Hey, this is awesome, and he has the spies with Kremlin, uh, Putin's personal chef. Media outlets controlled by Prigozhin promoted theories that Mohov's poisoning was staged. Mohov, meanwhile, says he doesn't rule out that the attack was related to his investigations into corruption in Moscow's funeral business. And what the authorities did in this case? Well, they spent about six weeks reviewing available materials before officially declining to open the case. And now we move to some bigger things here. Anna Podutkovskaya, the person that I learned journalism from, as important to me as her Russian diaries served as an inspiration for this show too. On September the 1st, 2004, Chechen terrorists seized an elementary school in Beslan. Learning about the standoff, Novaya Gazeta journalist Anna Podyatkovskaya decided to fly to the area, hoping to act as a negotiator and possibly involve self-proclaimed rebel leader Aslan Maskharov in a resolution. 
She said the Chechen separatists were signing their own death threats by committing an act of such unprecedented cruelty, and she hoped to talk them down. By this time, Podyutkovskaya was already world famous for investigative reports about corruption in the Russian army and war crimes in Chechnya. On the plane to Rostov-on-Don, Podyutkovskaya declined the in-flight meal and asked only for tea. Within minutes of drinking the beverage, she became violently ill. When the plane landed, she was rushed to the hospital in critical condition. According to the airline Karat, which operated Politkovskaya's flight, she could not have become ill from the in-flight tea because she was served from the same part as her passengers and she was the only one who complained of discomfort afterward. Politkovskaya accused three FSB agents, supposedly disguised as ordinary business class passengers, of poisoning her. Two years later, Politkovskaya was shot and killed in her apartment building in Moscow. What did the authorities do about this in this specific case? Well, state prosecutors refused to open an attempt murder case, finding no evidence of any crime in Politkovskaya's illness. And just to remind you, poison tea was used to kill former FSB agent Alexander Litvinenko, who died in London in 2006. British investigators conducted that Litvinenko consumed a cup of tea mixed with radioactive polonium-2210. Never, ever drink tea offered to you by some Russian agents. Then there is, of course, the case of Yuri Shekonichin. On June 3, 2003, Novaya Gazeta journalist and a former liberal lawmaker Yuri Shekonichin died in Moscow. He made a name for himself in the press with articles about infighting between law enforcement agencies and also his vocal criticism on the special forces agents who stormed the Dubrovka theater during the hostage crisis with the Chechen terrorists in 2002 that resulted in the deaths of more than 125 people. In an investigative report on Shechenichin's death, Novaya Gazeta deputy chief editor Sergei Sokolov wrote, quote, In two weeks, someone in his 50s transformed into an old man. One after another, his internal organs failed. His skin fell off in clumps. He lost his hair. His whole body burned as if it had been through fire. And he found it impossible to breathe because he felt like molten metal was pouring down his throat. End quote. Novaya Gazeta journalists later hypothesized that Shekonichin was killed with the same toxin used to poison Sergei and Yulia Skripal, the Novichok. What did the authorities do about it? The officials opened and closed the investigation into Shekonichin's death multiple times. In April 2009, for example, investigators first closed the murder case after roughly 12 months, quote, due to the absence of a criminal act. A year later, officials reopened the case, citing new data, only to close it again later, once more. And again, due to the absence of a criminal act. So, what's really going on here? Well, there are many theories with exactly what Navalny has been poisoned and why, but I know for sure that this does not look good on Putin's authority and what Putin is doing himself, so... I highly doubt that this poisoning happened with some sort of high abroad advice. They're not that smart, really, you know, dictators and all. I think it might be something about the locals, or there might be something from Belarus. What is certain is that this will draw attention away from the real issue, the Belarusian protests, which are sadly beginning to lose due to the Russian forces in the area, and the situation is not easy by any means uh, that, you know, I could use to describe them, because they need to win, and they're united, and on one side they're strong, on the other they're, they're kind of losing it because, well, they're going to need some luck. They lack strong leadership, they lack someone who might push them through the barricades, who might, you know, win the whole revolution for them. 
they still uh, are thinking about the fact that this is just, you know, protest and reform, but it seems that the Belarusians have not yet understood that what they're going through is a pure and honest hardcore revolution. Something that, I don't know, Mike Duncan might make a series later about in his life. At the same time, poisoning of Navalny makes Putin look extra bad. And I think that inside Kremlin there are many, many discussions at this point about whether or not Belarus is involved, because Lukashenko is literally mentally ill, and he might think that Navalny actually has something to do with, uh, with the fact that people don't like him, because I think he's been just fed lies that, you know, all the 80% of people actually do like him, and that, well, according to my sources, Lukashenko just expected 200 or 300 people just to come out in protest, and then he ordered the cops to beat up those people and find out who were paying them, because he honestly thought that the local people would support him. So he might be crazy enough to poison Navalny. And this is the one case where, um, I don't know, I agree to the theories that either it is a weirdly planned, quite strange and an unprecedented action of the local authorities of Tomsk and Omsk who would not like Navalny's investigations or that there is the tie to the Belarus. This is the one time when I actually say to the Putin's authorities that, hey, they probably didn't do it. And even though Navalny's name was taboo on national television, right now he's everywhere. That alone says something, because, you know, Putin's authorities have always avoided speaking anything about Navalny, positive or negative, or even mentioning his name, but right now, well, he's out there in the open, even Vladimir Solovyov mentioned his name. So that's a weird coincidence, don't you think? Well, we still have to follow this and see how this turns out, and I still need to give you some episodes about actual Siberia, but right now, everything's happening so quickly, and it's so crazy that um, I need to follow all that happened here, because all these advancements and everything that's going on and things just moving so quickly is too important to let go. And, yeah, while I'm preparing for this episode, don't get caught on lies about, you know, me or whatever Putin's trying to sell you, because, like I said, after all these poisoning cases and after all these dead people, after all of that has happened, well, if Russian government is saying you something, believe that they're lying, because that is the only logical, rational case at the given moment. And uh, that's about it for this episode, because everything's mushy, also in my head as well, and we still don't know exactly whether or not Navalny is going to recover. There are some theories that uh, this might have been not to basically kill him, but to turn him into a vegetable. We're gonna have to look at look closer at this next week, and as soon as something, something on the eastern border comes down, I'll go back to the usual episodes about history. I've got a lot of Soviet history on my hands, and I've got a lot of more uh, Siberia, you know, Eastern Siberia, and then Alaska too, so that's going to be great. In the meantime, please do support us on patreon.com slash border or press the donate button on theeasternborder.lv, or, you know, just contact us and write to us on Facebook or or, or Twitter or whatever. And we're going to try to bring you the best news possible that we can. And thank you for listening. I am following this, and as you can hear from my voice, probably, you can understand that I'm a bit bit nervous, because it is August, and terrible things always happen in August. The place is tied with Russia. So let's hope all of this falls into place. Have a great evening, or day. До свидания, товарищи.
Thank you for listening to The Eastern Border. If you have any comments or specific details you'd like to know, you're welcome to leave it in the comment section on our site, theeasternborder.lv, and we'll rummage even to the western border to find you an answer. Like this podcast? Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or on our RSS feed. Happiness is mandatory. Good reviews and donations feed the farmers of our kolkhoz in the great motherland. The Eastern Border salutes you. This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org for more shows like this one. The Dark Myths Void. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Traffic jams, tailgating, pile-ups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.